Well, hey, good morning, everyone. How is everyone doing today? How many of you got out yesterday for the Color of the Wind Kite Festival? Yeah. Okay, a few of you. It seems like I would have thought of everyone. That's okay. Um, the weather was really great, though. For those of you who were there, what was your favorite kite you saw? You can just shout them out. The horse. Yeah, he was like running in the wind. Yeah, that was funny. What else? The, okay. The turtle, yeah, the turtle was my daughter's favorite. Um, well, mine was Snoopy. I don't know if you guys saw Snoopy, but uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jennifer Colby, and I'm one of the directors here. Uh, something that I think is so cool is the fact that this morning, all over the world, in different languages, in different countries, among different people groups, and even in different methods, God is being worshipped. He is so much bigger than we can imagine. Isn't it amazing when you consider not just the vastness of God, but the vastness of God's church all over the world. God's church is gathering to worship him today. And he's being worshipped because he is the Rock of Ages. Uh, Rock of Ages, Volume 2, is our current sermon series. In Rock of Ages, Volume 1, we looked at the Apostles' Creed, and we looked for how those longings are displayed in our culture. And Volume 2, we're exploring who God is, the attributes and characteristics of God, because ultimately, what we believe, we become. And we want to become more like Jesus. Jesus is the rock of ages. He's the rock in which this church and the church is built upon. He's the rock in which our own faith is built upon. God's word calls him the cornerstone. He holds everything together. He's firm and steady and strong, and in him the gates of hell won't even prevail over the church. And God is also the rock of ages because he's the beginning and the end. He's outside of time. He's been God through all, all of time. He knew the end at the beginning. He is the one who was and who is and who is to come. And by that, I mean Jesus is coming back someday. And that day will come for those of us in Christ, and it will be a good day. We long for that day. We look forward to it with great anticipation. But until we meet him face to face, we will spend the remainder of our Christian walk getting to know Jesus and then getting to know him more and more. We look at Jesus because Jesus is the embodiment, the perfect picture of God. And that's because Jesus is God. So if we want to know God, then we look to Jesus. And one of the things I love about Jesus is what Derek said about him last week. He's simple in that you can know him, but he's also beyond our, uh, beyond our understanding and our comprehension. And I want you to think about that for a moment. You can know God, God, the creator of the universe. How can that be? How can a personal relationship with God occur? And it's incredible and beyond what I can possibly begin to comprehend. And so it is a great privilege of mine to help you to continue to get to know God today. What I hope to com communicate to you, what I hope to get you to see today, is that God is dependable, reliable, trustworthy, faithful, loyal. Now, you already know what dependability looks like. You know whether a, a coworker is dependable or not. You know what areas your spouse is or is not reliable in. You know if a movie will be good based on the actors in it. And in 1966, a cinematic masterpiece poetically showcased what it means to be dependable. Take a look. Here's a signed document. <laughs> <laughs> 
testifying that I promise not to pull it away. It is signed. It's a signed document. I guess if you have a signed document in your possession, you can't go wrong. This year, I'm really gonna kick that football. Peculiar thing about this document, it was never notarized. That notary part is hilarious. Like it or not, Lucy is dependable. Over the course of their life, Lucy pulled that football away from Charlie Brown 37 times in comic strips and another 15 times in cartoons. In one episode alone, she pulled it away from him four separate times. It's so likely to occur that they gave it a name, the football gag. Lucy was reliable in pulling off the football gag. And Charlie came to know that Lucy would pull it away every time. Now, you might even say that Lucy was faithful to do it. And time and time again, she did do it. But that's the bad kind of dependability. That's when someone is so reliable in something that you begin to not trust them. Now, we know that people, other human beings, can be like Lucy, but I think some of you this morning might think that's how God is. Some of you think that God's dependable, all right, but dependable in a way that's cruel, like he's out to get you, taunting you, or tempting you, like he's trying to pull that football away from you every single time, causing you to land flat on your back. In a word, disappointment. Some of you are disappointed in God. And disappointments don't necessarily have to be related to sinful behavior, and that's what makes them so difficult. Uh, let me give you a few examples. Some of you have been trying to get pregnant for years, but you keep getting negative pregnancy test after negative pregnancy test. Or maybe for some of you, you do get pregnant, but then it's miscarriage after miscarriage. Or maybe you're applying and applying, but you get, keep getting turned down for job after job. Or maybe it's the sell of your house and it keeps falling through again and again. Or it's bad diagnosis after bad diagnosis. Or maybe it's month after month of not being able to make ends meet. Or maybe it's not the same thing after the same thing, but it's something after another something after another something. And it piles up. Disappointments, even little disappointments, moments when life lets you down, add up. And if we're not careful, they can cause us to not trust God. Or worse, to lose our trust in God. Life can chip away at our trust in God. When life causes you to fall flat on your back, we might be tempted to think that God is not good. That somehow his dependable nature is not good for us. But my hope for us today is that you see that God is both dependable and good. That you can count on him. That you can rely upon him. And that you can trust him. In December, I was going to preach a message on how Jesus rescues us. And the message that I had prepared was about how Jesus rescues us from disappointment specifically. And I had a passage picked out, and I had been praying on it, and I had started taking notes. And then guess what? I didn't share that message. It was Christmas by the Lake weekend, and so I asked to not preach. I had a lot on my plate. And even though it was my own choice, and even though I was um, relieved that I didn't have to preach, it was still a disappointment. 
Now, I don't know if this is an official attribute of God or not, but God is cool. Like, how cool of God to redeem our lives and our stories. Only God can weave together things, work things out, take even our disappointments, and somehow make them better. In December, I was going to preach on John 11, which is the story of Jesus resurrecting Lazarus. And today, I'm going to preach on John 11, the story of Jesus resurrecting Lazarus. In December, I was going to show you the disappointments that Mary and Martha experienced in that story. But today, I'm going to show you how Jesus was dependable in that story. And trust me, this is a far better and greater message for us to hear. John is one of the Gospels, Gospel just meaning good news, and it's one of the books where we see God in flesh, in the person of Jesus. We get to meet Jesus, God in human form, in these pages. I want you to see my handwritten notes for John 11. The red marks indicate all the ways that I thought God, Jesus, was dependable in this story. There are 15 different ways. And we aren't going to cover them all, but 15 in just one interaction with Jesus. That says something. I am going to skip through a few sections, but for the most part, I'm going to read the entire story to you in one shot before we break it down. I had coffee with a friend this week, and I was sharing what I was going to be preaching on today, and she prayed over me in this message, and she said, God, we are hungry for your word, so let's feast. These words contain the words of life. Uh, you can follow along with me in your Bible or on the Zion Clear Lake app. John 11, verse 1, starts off like this. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. I'm skipping to verse 11 now. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking on his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Skipping to verse 20 now. When, when, Mar I'm sorry. when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who, who was to come into the world. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Skipping to verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and, and the Jews who came along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Skipping to verse 38. 
Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of those standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This was a cool encounter with Jesus. And here's our first takeaway. No matter what the disciples think, no matter whether they think Jesus should stay or go, no matter how Martha or Mary responded to their situation, no matter what they believed or didn't believe, regardless of what they knew to be true about Jesus or what they had seen him do, regardless of whether Lazarus lives or dies, God's character doesn't change. He is God regardless. His character is not based on our circumstances or how we think things turn out. He's still God. So while we think that our stories or our disappointments or, you know, just life in general somehow says something about our God, the truth is it doesn't. God does not change depending on the weather or our emotions or the kind of day we had at work or whether we're praising him or cursing him. He remains the same. The Bible is full of words about God, and he is the same from the first page to the last page. And that's good news for us, because if God remains the same, then it means that he is dependable. Because he is the same, we can trust him. It means that when everything else is kind of falling around, around us, chaotic, he remains constant and consistent. God's nature doesn't change. It isn't conditional with what we think or want or even what we believe. It's not shaped by how things turn out. His character isn't dependent or somehow connected or related to us at all. If it were, then he wouldn't be God. God's nature doesn't depend on us. And likewise, God's dependability doesn't depend on us. God is dependable regardless of us or our situations. But God can and sometimes does change his mind based on our petitions, our prayers. And I want to make a distinction here because actually in the Bible, we do see times when God changes his mind and chooses a different course of action. But while he may change his mind, his character doesn't change. That means that somehow, even in his change of mind, he's doing it to either reveal to us his character or because the final outcome would have remained the same. This might be a, an overly simplified way of trying to explain this, but it's kind of like this. My daughter recently had a birthday. She had been asking us for years, or for months, not years, for months that she wanted a, a watch for her birthday. And so my husband and I were prepared to buy her that watch. But then like two weeks before, she completely changes her mind. She creates a Google Slides presentation of all the things she wants, which is kind of impressive. And long story short, she didn't get a watch. The outcome didn't change, right? we were still going to buy her a gift regardless. Both gifts were still good. It's just that she asked us for something else, and that changed our mind. It wasn't that our character in that situation changed. What this also means for us is that we can trust God today. We can take him at his word today. 
No prior knowledge or experience is necessary, but Mary did have prior knowledge and experience with Jesus. There was a deep relationship with with Jesus and Mary and her siblings. In fact, the text tells us that Jesus loved them. Martha had opened up her house to Jesus, and on one occasion, Mary sat at Jesus' feet, learning and listening from him. And then she did that instead of helping Martha, and Martha was upset. In that encounter, Jesus defended and affirmed Mary's decision as the right and better choice. Jesus had already begun to show Mary that he was dependable. He was dependable in supporting her and having her back and speaking the truth. But even more than that, Jesus was, showed his dependability by showing how much value he placed over Mary in that situation. So by the time that Lazarus was sick, Mary had already begun to know and trust Jesus. She could count on him. And it's our second point. Trusting Jesus and finding him to be dependable is built by meeting with Jesus over and over again. And this is why our spiritual disciplines are so important. We need to be in prayer daily. We need to be in God's word daily. Other disciplines like coming to church and being a part of a community of believers and worshiping through music also help us to encounter and know Jesus. But we don't do any of those things for the sake of, you know, doing them or to quote unquote be a good Christian. We do them because we want to know God. We're investing in our relationship with God. And I know what you guys know what I'm talking about here. You can't trust someone you don't know. I did have a, a pretty epic game for us to play today, but then I thought our insurance company probably wouldn't approve it. And um, so I opted not to because I want to keep my job. You're welcome. But basically, the game would have gone like this. Stand up, find a person you don't know, you know, share some niceties, and then yada, 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 one person would trust fall into the other person. Um, but I wasn't actually going to make you trust fall. I just was like trying to ease the tension of what that would be like to fall into someone you don't know. It would have been uncomfortable. You don't fall into someone you don't know. So just like we need to take the time to get to know and trust other people, we also need to take the time to get to know God. And we don't do that because he's not already trustworthy. We do it because we're not comfortable if we don't. Us being able to trust Jesus comes from us getting to know Jesus. And we're told in this text that Mary was the same woman who poured perfume on Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. But actually, that encounter with Jesus happened after this encounter, uh, this Lazarus story. And I have a theory as to why John included a note here in this passage. This interaction with Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead was so powerful I mean, Lazarus was not just resuscitated. He was stinky, been in a tomb for four days, kind of dead. So when Jesus resurrected him, it was absolutely life-changing, literally for Lazarus, but then also for Mary and Martha. Can you imagine being them and witnessing that? You would remember that story and tell that story for your entire life. When Mary anointed Jesus for his burial by wiping his feet with her tears and pouring expensive perfume on him, it's because worship was the only appropriate response for what he had done for her. Mary and Martha trusted Jesus. They had a history with him. They believed him to be who he said he was. So they sent word to Jesus and told him that Lazarus was sick, believing that he could do something about it. And it's our equivalent of prayer today. 
In response to the news that Lazarus was sick and before Jesus actually went to him, we see five different ways that God was dependable. Number one, God shows us he's dependable by hearing us. God's word says, when Lazarus heard that, I'm sorry, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, the fact that God hears us and listens to us shows him, shows us that we can depend on him. We have his ear. We have his attention. You can depend on him to always be available to you. The reason why God listens to you is because he loves you. And secondly, God is dependable in providing hope in the midst of our disappointments. He knows how things work out. Jesus says, this sickness will not end in death. He already knew how the story ended. He already had things figured out and under control. And that's true for us and our struggles as well. He already has things worked out. He's got things under control. And that should give us hope. We can trust him we can trust him to give us insight into what's really going on. We can trust him to remind us of what's really true. And ultimately, we can trust him to point us to an eternal hope full of goodness. And thirdly, God is dependable in receiving glory. Jesus' purpose on earth was to glorify the Father. And this is important because what it means is when things don't work out the way that we think they should, we can know and somehow trust that it's still going to glorify the Father in the end. I, I want to make a quick distinction before I go any further between you know, life in general and sin. Sin does not glorify the Father. But repentance, reconciliation, and redemption all can. So even sin can lead to God's glory. But in this text, in this message, I want you to know that I'm continuing to talk about life's disappointments and life in general. Have you ever had someone say to you, well, must not have been God's plan. I don't know about you, but when I hear that, I'm like, yeah, but that doesn't make me feel any better. Go away. Because actually, whatever did happen was God's plan. Now, admittedly, this is the hardest part for us to accept. It, but it must have been God's plan if God is glorified. So it doesn't really matter if it's plan A or plan B or even plan C all of them can lead to God's glory. We're reading a book in staff, and there's a part that says, God's glory is the expression of his goodness and of his other qualities. We don't depend on our situations or our disappointments working out like we want them to. We depend on God being glorified through them. We depend on his goodness and all his other qualities being displayed through them. And so we can simultaneously hold disappointment and gratitude. Have you, ever had a, have you ever had something happen to a friend that you wanted to happen for you? And while you're happy for them, you're sad for you. We are complex human beings. We can hold and feel a variety of emotions at the same time. It's kind of like the Kelsey's brother's mom, the super mom of the Super Bowl. Did any of you see the video mashup of her congratulating Travis while offering sympathy to Jason on his loss? She was holding celebration, and holding sadness at the same time. Likewise, for us, we can hold gratitude that God's plan is being worked out while also holding disappointment that it hasn't worked out yet. Gratitude and disappointment can coexist. Now, I don't know about you, but it actually does help me to remember that God will be glorified, that he won't fail himself. Um, because... 
I want to believe that God won't fail me, but the truth is I have been disappointed by God. I'm sure most of you probably have. And don't you think Mary and Martha were disappointment, probably even mad that Jesus hadn't shown up yet? But here's where we see God be dependable. We might think that God's not showing up for us in some way, but instead he's working out a plan for his glory. So whether we personally like the outcome or not, we can remember that the outcome is good if God is being glorified in it. Fourth, God is dependable in his timing. The Bible says, so when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. That doesn't make sense. What do we do if we get a call that someone we love is sick? We go. We don't stay and stick around for two more days. Why did Jesus stay? Why did Jesus allow Mary and Martha and Lazarus even to suffer? Why does he allow you and I to suffer? Some of you are waiting on God for something. Earlier, I I listed off a whole slew of things. Maybe you're waiting on a clean bill of health, or maybe you're waiting for some kind of financial provision Or maybe you're waiting on a child, but it's not a fertility issue. You're waiting on a rebellious child to come back home. Or maybe you're waiting on the reconciliation of your marriage. There's a saying that goes, waiting is the hardest part about hope. Jesus waited. He didn't go to Mary and Martha right away. But he did provide hope in the waiting. It wasn't a mistake or wrong for him to not go right away. And actually, um, you know, he knew the right time. There was a purpose and a reason for him going. And scripture does actually tell us that purpose. The purposes of of Jesus' wait was so that people might believe in him. Jesus told his disciples that he was glad he wasn't there so that for their sake they might believe. And later he tells Martha that his delay in coming was so that she can believe. And still later he said it again. It was so that the friends and family who were with them would also believe that Jesus was sent by God. God is dependable in showing up. We can trust that the timing of him working things out will be just so perfect that it will cause us and other people to believe. And lastly, God is dependable in revealing things to us and showing us things and helping us understand those things. When Jesus is ready to go to Lazarus, he says that he's going there to wake Lazarus up and raise him from the dead. Something that I think God is dependable in is opening our eyes, waking us up, giving us revelation, and growing our faith. He started a faith work in us, and we can count on him to finish that faith work in us. So while Jesus was going to wake Lazarus up physically from the dead, he's coming to wake us up spiritually. In fact, the Holy Spirit is here right now wanting to do just that. And when we see God move, we can know that he's helping us to believe him and trust him. I don't know if you guys have seen it yet, but there is a movement of God happening in Kentucky at Asbury University right now. Revival is happening on that campus. It started with just a normal college chapel, um, but then the students just didn't leave. God is revealing something there. He's helping them to understand something about himself. And he wants to do the same for us. What if we viewed our disappointments and life stories as opportunities for revelation, as opportunities to learn something new about God, or as chances for our faith to grow. If that were the case, we would welcome our disappointments. God wants us to know him, and he uses disappointment as a method in doing so. 
He is dependable in giving himself to us. We can trust that he won't withhold himself. Jesus went to Lazarus. He is going to come to us. We can trust that. And I know Jesus was going to go wake him up physically. But what if we asked God to wake us up spiritually? And actually, I, wanna, I just want to pray that right now over us. Um, wake us up, Lord. Open our eyes. Give us insight. Give us wisdom. Show us. Reveal yourself to us. Give us more of you. Help us to understand what's going on and what you're doing. Grow our faith to the glory of the Father. Amen. When we ask that, we can trust that God is dependable to answer it. When Jesus arrives at the town where Martha and Mary are, he meets both of them individually. And something similar happens, something similar happens in both of their interactions. Both Mary and Martha say, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Do you hear their pain? Lord, if you had been here, it is full of disappointment. It's the old, where were you, God? Mary and Martha want to know, why weren't you here? And most of us have asked that question at some point in our lives. Some of you, the reason why you're here today is because you're asking that question right now. Earlier, I said that some of you might think that God is cruel like Lucy, but um, others of you, I suspect probably most of you, you know that God is good. You know that he can do all things. And so when he doesn't, when things don't work out good, when it's hardship after hardship, you think, where are you, Lord? The question for you and I is, is God still dependable even if he doesn't do something we know he can do? I can tell you that the truth is yes, but it's something that you have to work out in your own life. Mary and Martha had faith to believe that if Jesus had been with them in Lazarus's final days, he could have done something about it. But they couldn't comprehend all that he could do. Likewise, God can do so much more than we can imagine or believe. Jesus responded to Mary and Martha's same question in two different ways. I want to go through um, how he responded to Mary's first. Jesus answers Mary in verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping... And the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And then Jesus wept as well. Jesus stayed in that suffering, and he felt. He literally went through all the emotions. He experienced firsthand the heartbreak. And because he felt very real emotions as a human being, and because he still feels real emotion today, you can trust that he can empathize with you and all of yours. The point is, we can depend on God to understand how we feel. We can depend on him to sit with us in our disappointments and our sufferings. I recently talked with a friend who was raving about a book she was currently reading about some of the physical symptoms that she's been experiencing. And she had entire pages underlined, like, you have to read this. She said, I feel so validated in knowing that someone else understands how I feel. But it wasn't just that the author understood how she felt. It was that the author understood why she felt that way. And because of Jesus, God gets us. He's dependable in knowing and understanding how we feel and why we feel that way. He's dependable in getting to the root cause of our pain. He's dependable in entering into those stories, even those difficult stories. And he's dependable in staying in that story with us as we feel and process it. 
the fact that Jesus can empathize with you reveals something. It reveals love. The Jews, after witnessing Jesus weep over Lazarus, said this, see how he loved him. See how Jesus loved Lazarus. This was the third time in John 11 that Jesus' love for Lazarus was mentioned. It was because of love that Jesus listened to the sisters. It was because of love that Jesus waited two more days to go. It was because of love that Jesus wept. Jesus loved Lazarus, and so he saved him. But it wasn't that Lazarus was special. It's that Jesus' love is special. And that same kind of love that he had for Lazarus, he has for you. God is dependable in love. Love is the ultimate factor in whether someone is going to be dependable or not. You can count on him to love you. You can count on him to act out his love for you. You can count on him to speak truth out of love to you. And you can even count on him to discipline or correct you out of his love for you. Everything that God does is a result of his love. God is love. And that is a reliable, dependable truth. God's love was displayed through Jesus on the cross, taking my sin and your sin and reconciling us back to God. But the cross without the resurrection was meaningless. The ultimate display of God's love was Jesus' resurrection. Our faith clings to the fact that God is dependable and resurrecting. I'd like to invite the band back up, and will the rest of you stand with me while we read our verse for today? This is Jesus' response to Martha when she asks him why he wasn't here. It's John 11, verse 25 and 26. Read it with me. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And actually, guys, stay, remain standing as we close this out, okay? Jesus continued by asking Martha, do you believe this? And I ask you today, do you believe this? Because the answer to your question changes everything. You can depend on God to change your life. The reason why Jesus is dependable in changing our lives is because he's been resurrected. The reason why he can hear us, the reason why he provides hope for us, the reason why he has perfect timing, the reason why he can reveal and tell us about himself, the reason why we can understand, why he, we can trust him to understand how we feel, the reason why he continues to express his love for us is because Jesus is alive. What could a God who's still in the grave do for us? And once you understand that, it will change your life. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And not only for this life, but for the next life as well. The story of Lazarus ends with Jesus calling the dead man out of the grave and declaring to those who are with him, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Freedom. And it's freedom that we'll get to experience someday too, someday. Our grave clothes are coming off and death will be commanded to let us go. And that's good news for us. It's good news that Jesus is dependable, that we can trust him to free us from the ultimate disappointment of death to set us free. So what's our response to a God who is dependable? Number one, and we'll go through these quickly. You can know God. Everything you need to know about God is revealed in this word. And I am confident that as you get to know him, you will find him to be dependable. 
Number two, the world needs some dependability. They are looking for someone that they can trust and who is dependable. They're looking for someone who listens and who shows up and who loves even in the midst of our failures. And guess what, church? We know him. We have to tell the world that the one who can always count on, the one they can always count on is named Jesus Christ. And lastly, we respond to God's character with the way we live. Our lives are a response to who he is and what he's done. Our response to a trustworthy God is to trust him. Our response to a God who loves us is to love him. And our response to a God who is dependable is to depend upon him. And that kind of life, that's worship. And it will be a life that glorifies the Father. In Jesus' name, amen.